It's a blessing to be here to worship. So, for the last week, roughly, I've been pondering for, well, let me say it like this, about a week ago, probably, I started to really ponder what I should speak about this morning. I had a very busy week, wasn't sure some days how much attention I could even put on a message. And one day, the Lord laid something on my heart, and I felt like that uh, was the direction He wanted me to go. So we're going to be looking at an important subject for each of us this morning. It's something that uh, we all do. But yet it is, in many ways, it's hidden from other people. And at the same time, it has a tremendous impact on our lives and who we are. I'm going to speak about our thoughts. Do you ever think about, during a normal day, how much you think about? When you wake up in the morning, your mind starts to go immediately. Some, some of us starts off slower than others, but our minds start to go. And our minds continue to go until we fall asleep at night. So our, our minds are full of thoughts. And the thoughts that we have Sometimes we express those thoughts verbally to the people around us. Others of those thoughts we may express through our actions or through how we react to the situations that come into our lives. And other thoughts we try to keep to ourselves, or at least we think we are keeping them to ourselves. And you know, those thoughts that are going through our minds that we are keeping to ourselves, we're not expressing, uh, or at least not trying to express, I think could be some of the most impactful thoughts that we allow into our minds. It's not because those thoughts are loftier or more important, uh, carry more weight necessarily, but those thoughts that we dwell on, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but during a day, there, there are tasks that we face that, that take our mental attention. But when our, when, we, when our mind is not occupied by facing a, a current demanding mental task, it tends to just ruminate over a variety of things. I found that to be scarily true back in the day when I ran a lot of equipment. I have the job I have now demands more of my mental attention. That job, when you're running uh, excavation equipment for years, eventually it just comes to where a lot of what you're doing is kind of automatic. It's, and your mind is somewhat free. And there was times that I thought, you know, I can, I can 
focus on a certain thing today and I can think about this problem and work through it. And you know, I would find that rather than thinking about something profitable, that my mind instead circulated through these non-profitable items. And I think it's because we kind of let our mind go often, kind of let it go into neutral. But those, those things that we, we allow our mind to think about and, and continue to focus on can become very foundational to who we are, how we think about important things, how we react to situations that we find ourselves in. So it's very important, or let me back up, it's if, if we lose out in our thought life, if we find ourselves pondering and ruminating over things that are not good, that are not pure, that are not upbuilding, it is going to have a devastating effect on our lives spiritually. There's no two ways about it. It's going to have an impact on our relationship with the Lord. And I believe it will make it difficult, if not even impossible, to grow spiritually if we're allowing thoughts in our lives, in our minds, that are negative, that are sinful, uh, that are just even maybe unprofitable. So where do thoughts come from? Uh, I had to ponder that. You know, why, why do I have the thoughts that I do? And I think that thoughts are generated by things we observe. Uh, you, we drive down the road and we see the changing scenery and we see something in, along the road or a, something out in the field or whatever. And it changes your thought pattern. It's things that are inputted into our lives. It can also be experiences. It can be influence of others. But a lot of what we think about is because of external influences and inputs. Our minds are also capable of what we call critical thinking. I've already referred to that. Uh, that would be reasoning, where we think through a difficult problem. You know, I could give you a mathematical formula, and your mind would become occupied with figuring out the answer. That would be critical thinking. But a lot of our thinking is more reactionary, I believe, reactionary to what we see and experience. And we live in a society where we're constantly bombarded with things that impact our thinking. And most of those things, or a lot of those things that we can find ourselves impacted by are not necessarily good and wholesome things, things that would be upbuilding. We face advertisements. Advertising is an industry that, to me, is very intriguing because the goal of advertising 
is somehow convince someone that they need a product that they never realized before that they need or that the product that they already own isn't good enough you know my vehicle i drive can get me there and back and be pretty trouble free but yet through advertising we can become very dissatisfied with the reliable vehicle that we already own. And so we face that type of input that causes us to think in a materialistic way, causes us to uh, become covetous, to become lovers of material things. We can read things or listen to things that expose us to things like disrespect for authority. You ever think about, uh, I don't know if you listen to this kind of thing or not. I have in the past. I try to avoid it for the most part at this point in my life. But uh, talk radio, political talk radio, it is based almost solely on disrespect for authority. And it will impact your thinking. And there's written material, there's websites, there's blogs, there's etc. that impact us in how we think about authority. Violence. Because of where Hollywood has gone with their movies, violence has become almost normalized to many people. See, what, what they have put before their eyes has impacted their thinking to where somebody going out and shooting a bunch of people doesn't seem that abnormal. And video games, same thing. We have raised up a generation who it's become normal to act out these violent things. It impacts our thinking then. We live in a world where the level of immorality, the level of immodesty is at an all-time low in, our, in the history of this country. But yet it's, it's normalized because people become accustomed to what they see and what they hear and what people are doing. So all of these things can generate an unending amount of fodder for us to think about wrong things in our minds. And a lot of times those thoughts are private thoughts. They're thoughts that we're not expressing to one another. But yet, little by little, they're having an effect within us. They're changing how we view the world around us. They're changing what we consider to be acceptable. <clears throat> I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. This is the account of Noah. Did you know that wrong thoughts were one of the reasons that God brought judgment on the earth. 
Let's read Genesis 6, verses 5-7. through And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. God was grieved when He looked at creation. When He looked at man, who was the the crowning part of His creation, created in God's image. He was grieved because He says that every imagination of the thoughts of His heart was only evil continually. Just ever think about that description in regards to the world in which we live today? Do you know why we have the same problem today as they did then? It's because the flood took care of all those people that had given their minds over to that type of thinking, but it didn't take care of the problem. We still have the same problem today. After Noah and his family left the ark, God said something else interesting over in chapter 8. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. Chapter 8, verse 21. And the Lord Lord smelt a soothing aroma. This was after Noah made a sacrifice to the Lord. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I've done before. God was recognizing right there that the problem was going to continue. And I'm not sure where I have it in my notes. Maybe I was going to say it later, but I'm going to say it now. Actually, let me... Yeah, I'll say it, I'll say it later. Fits both places. have something interesting to bring up about that here in a little bit. So God recognized that the problem was going to continue. So let's think about that problem. What was the source of that problem? God didn't create us to be beings that had sinful, evil thoughts going through our minds. But the beginning of it was in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Eve and tempted her and he planted wrong thinking in her mind. He said, did God really say... See, he was planting doubts in Satan in Eve's mind. He was making her think something different than what God had really said. So Satan is the, is the cause of the sinful thoughts that we battle with today. So I want us to understand that when we struggle with thinking about things that we shouldn't, We are in a battle between good and evil. When we give in to thinking things that we shouldn't, Satan is pleased. We are going down the path he wants us to go down. We're we're selling out to his way. And God is displeased. We can be assured that God is displeased because we can look back and see what he said about the people in Noah's time. And we know that God doesn't change. And He's grieved when I allow things in my mind that are unpure and unholy and covetous and and 
greed and all these things. And when we do it, we're allowing Satan to gain a foothold in our life. Some familiar verses from the book of James. James 1, 14 and 15 say, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So those verses are intriguing because they give us a progression of sin. How it starts and where it ends up. And he says that temptations begin with being drawn away by our own lusts. I'd like to say first, what is a lust? A lust is is when we desire something that is improper for us to have. We often think about lusts in 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 relation to to our morality. But we we can lust for things that are different than that. It's, it's, it's a desire, it's a strong desire for something that, that God says it's not proper for you as my child to have. So where do our lusts that draw us away, where do they come from? Okay, from our hearts. So we have these thoughts that we allow to, you know, Satan brings temptations to us. And when we are tempted with something, it's not a sin that Satan has brought a temptation into my heart. But when Satan brings a thought into my heart that is wrong, and then I choose to do the wrong thing with it and dwell on it, that is when it becomes sin. So, I believe that these lusts that James is speaking of begin as products of thoughts that we allow our minds to dwell on. We start longing for that thing that God says is not proper for us to have. And we think about it. And the more we think about it, the more we're tempted with it. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you all would like to be free from temptation? How many of y'all would like to never face another temptation in your life? I think if we could raise our hands and, and you know get that wish, that we probably would all choose that today. Or maybe if we could choose to just have fewer temptations. But I challenge you that if, if it is the case that the thoughts that we allow in our minds if it's the case that they are the breeding ground for the temptations that we face, the more control that we have, that we gain with God's help over our thoughts, the better, the, the better we do at shutting out wrong thoughts, the less that we are going to face temptation. And I am convinced of that. I've experienced it in my own life. I believe that wrong thoughts will lead us into temptations that could otherwise be avoided. And I'm not saying that we're going to get rid of temptations in our life. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that we do have the ability to help to shield ourselves 
from temptation and the effects of temptation, but what we allow in our minds. Now, Scripture tells us that what's in our hearts, what's in our minds is going to come out. We might harbor these things and think that nobody knows because nobody can see. But you know what? According to Jesus, those things will come out. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And I think that we could say, of the abundance of our hearts are our actions as well. The thoughts of our hearts will come out eventually in some way. What we allow in our minds will influence us. It's not just that it might. It will have an impact on our lives, on our attitudes, on our speech, and on our actions. So I said earlier that when God destroyed Noah, He got rid of the people with the evil minds, but He didn't get rid of the problem. The problem continues. The problem persisted continues to persist because of the sinful nature that we all have. Yet we go back to what I read there and God says, never again am I going to destroy people, the the whole earth with a flood the way I did. Why? Why did God say I'm not going to ever do that again? There could be different reasons, but as I studied this, I had to think that I believe it was because God knew in His providence that He had a plan that He was putting in, had put in place that was going to bring a better solution to us as, his, as, as human beings than the flood. And that solution is Jesus Christ. The cure comes through the regeneration of coming to Christ and submitting our whole self, including our thoughts, to Him. I think that we probably, most of us here could quote Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In those verses, we have a call for the believer to have his mind transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? I was trying to think of a, of a good illustration this morning and thought of a few and I feel like they all have their flaws, but if I would go and find some old antique car in, in a barn somewhere, rusty, dirty, well-worn, but in fairly good condition, And I'd say, I'm going to restore this car. I'm going to transform it to its original glory. I towed it out of the barn and I got a garden hose and I squirted the dust off of it. 
Have I transformed it? I see head saying no. I haven't transformed it. But if I take that same vehicle and I strip it down and I go through all of the parts and clean them up and replace and repair what's broken and fix the rust and put a new coat of paint on it and a new interior in it and it looks like it just came off the showroom floor even though it's 50 years old. Have I transformed it? Yes. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're not talking about blowing a little dust off. We're talking about something radically different than what God was displeased about there in Noah's day and what He's still displeased about when He looks at mankind today. The mind of the believer should be very different from the mind of the unbeliever. How is that done? Verse 1 there in Romans 12 tells us that we're to be living sacrifices. Is that easy? No. It's not easy. But we have to be willing to surrender our minds to the Lordship of Christ. You know, some of these things are fun to think about. They give us a, a mental reward. Uh, one illustration that I thought of that I have personally struggled with is a bad attitude to someone who has wronged me. And maybe you all aren't like this, but you know, you hear the you know, somebody that has a bruise and they keep pressing that bruise. You know, that's what we like to do. We like to think about and continue to think about what that person's done to me and how they've wronged me and how all of this. There's a certain mental reward that we have when we allow those thoughts in our minds. We need to sacrifice that. Ephesians 4.31 tells us some things that we're to put off as Christians. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Think about that list. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Those are things that happen for the most part in our mind. Or at least begin in our mind. We need to put those things off. We need to clean our minds up. So if we want to clean our minds up, how do we do that? Where do we turn? We can pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to turn to God who knows our thoughts already. And we need to seek His direction on what needs to change in our hearts and in what we're thinking. I also invite you to turn to Hebrews 4. I'm going to look at a number of verses here that I think can help us. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 12. For the word of God is quick 
which that means living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We'll stop there. What is a discerner of the thoughts of our heart? Is, does it say God is? The Spirit is? No, it says the Word of God. Yes, the Spirit works. But if you want to allow God to search your heart and direct you as far as what where your thoughts are, it says here that one of the answers is through knowing and reading God's Word. And as we do that, our, our thoughts and the intents of our heart are going to be discerned by God's Word. The Spirit's going to work. He's going to bring conviction. He's going to say, you need to make a change. Continuing in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Stop there again. All things, even our thoughts, are open to God. We need to remember that what we may hide from others, we're not hiding from God. Continuing on then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, excuse me, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's where we can go for help. When, when, when we read God's Word and the Spirit brings conviction, we have a place to go. Jesus is our great high priest. And it says that He was tempted in all points like as we. He understands our weakness. He understands the temptations that we face in these earthly bodies. And He is there and able to provide grace and help in our time of need. He's there to help. His grace is available, but we are responsible to seek it out. So we need to ask God to search our hearts, our thoughts, and reveal if there's anything that shouldn't be there. We need to check our thought life against God's Word and recognize that Everything we think is truly open to God. But we need to, along with that, remember that that source of grace that's available. We need to identify the problem. That's the first step. But then we need to take action by God's grace. Isaiah 55 is one of my favorite chapters in, in Scripture. And it just has a lot of good things there. But verses 7-9 through nine say, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon 
Now stop there. What a wonderful promise that when we realize we have a problem, we can go to God and He will abundantly pardon as we turn away from those wicked things. Continuing on in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. See this thing of thoughts? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's saying here that God's ways and His thoughts are far above what we as humans can think. And it's because when sin came into the world, our thoughts were taken captive by Satan. We have a natural bent, a natural inclination towards sinful thoughts. But as, as we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and become like Him, our natural thoughts should, should be on an upward course towards those higher thoughts, closer to God's thoughts. We need to put on the new man, a new nature, a new way of thinking. Colossians 3.10 says, And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him, as we are renewed as a new creation in Christ, we need to be putting on God's image. And to put on God's image, we have to take on His thought patterns and get rid of the thought patterns of this sinful world. Satan wants, to, wants us to make our religion an external religion. Doing what makes us look good to others while He fills us, fills our minds with filth. And that was the problem that Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are likened to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. To these Pharisees, they were okay if they looked right. They said the right things. But Jesus said that inwardly, they were full of all kinds of uncleanness. We have the same temptation today. But Jesus made it clear that if we only abstain from the act of sin, we can still be guilty if we're allowing those sinful desires to dwell in our hearts. He said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And I want to read what Adam Clark said about those verses. He said, Many would abhor to commit one external act before the eyes of men in a temple of stone. And yet they are not afraid to commit a multitude of such acts in the temple of their hearts and in the sight of God. We need to remember our hearts are God's temple. God is seeing us and we have to continually work to keep that temple clean and pure. I don't know what you may struggle with, but I do know that if, if we're honest, we will all admit that this is a battle, an ongoing battle in our lives. 
we struggle with things like lust, bitterness, anger, envy, covetousness. You could list more. But with God's help, I'm convinced that we can overcome. And I challenge us to each allow Him to search our hearts and our minds and to show us where we need cleansing and to seek the help to make those changes. And I thought here at the end, I would just share just a few thoughts, a few personal pointers from my own personal struggle. We need to recognize if we have a thought pattern, a thought process that is improper or impure or sinful in some way. That's the first step. We have to recognize it. And there was a time in my life that I questioned whether we could really control our minds. Some of these things that pop into your mind and your mind wants to dwell on and and just mull over. And I got to the point where I realized there was some things going through my mind that were not good and I needed to make some changes. And it was a struggle. And I learned that, number one, you have to have determination that you're going to see this through. But I think the most important thing for me was when something came to my mind that I knew should not be there was simply calling out to God in a silent prayer, God help me. And did that always mean that I found victory? No. That's where determination comes in. Because victory builds upon victory. It's like building a, a, a muscle. If you're going to get into strength training, you wouldn't get a weight set and put all the weights on it and say, okay, I'm going to lift this. You'd start out smaller than that and you would continue You'd have determination and you'd work and you'd work. And then you could lift more and then you could lift more and then you could lift more. And I just challenge you, if there's, if there's things in your life that you're struggling with that shouldn't be there in your mind, to identify them and cry out to God when those things come. And be persistent. I've told different people it is a battle worth fighting. And another thing that can be important is to go to someone you trust, a brother or sister in the Lord, and say, pray for me. Check up on me. Brothers and sisters, I believe it's critical. The world we live in is enslaved to thinking, sinful, impure thoughts. And we we see the outworking of that all around us. We cannot dwell on those same things and experience spiritual victory. We must endeavor with God's help to maintain clean and pure minds. Philippians 4.8 in closing, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, 
whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. God bless you.